Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Sukkah, daf vav, page six. Um, okay, we're going to jump right in. The top of here gets into measurements. And we've talked about measurements, really, in several Masachet already. Some of these details we have seen in other Masachet already. But I want to just go quickly through how it lists them here. Um, basically, it's it's getting into them because there's a discussion here of um, first it's about that coming off of the previous stuff, the, if a house has tzara'at, if a person's clothing has tzara'at, you know, and then the question is, you know, how long does he have to remain in the house to, to test the house? And the answer is, you know, the amount of time that it would take to eat a half a loaf of bread, which is called bichte achilat pras. The amount of time that it would take to eat a half a loaf of bread. So, and from there we jump into measurements. So the first one is seora, barley. Now barley is used for basis of measurements. Ditnan, we have a Mishnah that tells us etzam kisora If we have a bone, now this is a bone from a corpse. I'm sorry, um, we're talking about too much meat here, and the bone size is going to be to the size of a grain of barley. And if it is that large, or in fact, really it's quite small, then it will say, it will impart impurity, right, through contact. You come in contact with that particular piece of bone, and it's enough, even though it's so, so small, to, to impurity to the next person over. But it's not enough to turn the whole house into, into impurity. You know, let's say, for example, an actual dead body is inside of a of a building, then that is that will bring too much ohel. It will make the house, the building itself, the room anyway, impure. So this is a an in between stage. But this ora, this measurement of barley, is the minimum that is needed to have tuma conveyed through contact. Next, geffen. So now we've got you know specifically the vine. What does that mean? We're talking about geffen kedei revit yain lenazir. We're talking about the the log, the fourth of a log of wine for the nazir, and that this is you know a nazir who would drink this amount of wine is liable for lashes because a nazir has sworn off quite literally by definition sworn off um, wine and all grape products. Next we have teina. So so far we have sora, gefen teina. You should recognize these also as fruits of the land of Israel. Teina kigrogeret lotsaat. Shabbat. We talked about a te'ina, the dried fig, um, in regard to how much you could carry or bef- until what point would you be culpable for carrying on Shabbat, right? You're liable for carrying food, right? Food that is actually edible food on Shabbat. Um, once you get to the amount of a dried fig, that like any less than that, you are still carrying, but it's, you're not going to be liable for it. You're not going to be chayev in a pun- punishment. Next, Rimon. Rimon Ditznan. We have a Mishnah. Kol klei ba'alei batim shiurin kirimonim. Shiuran, sorry, kirimonim. So the pomegranates, we say that once you have any vessels, now these are wooden vessels, and they're just what regular people own, but and they become, the way you purify them is by breaking them, which is, of course, inconvenient. But the, once you have a broken vessel, then it cannot become impure. So then, how do you know that what you have, your vessel, has become sufficiently broken that it can not be 
rendered impure if it has a hole in it that's the size of a pomegranate. So that is the measurement then of the pomegranate. So where we have here different areas of halacha, right, that are being touched upon by these different shiurim, um, including tumentara, including um, culpability for a violation of a mitzvah lotah, say, a lav, a negative commandment. And now we have um, the actual verse that gives us all these fruits is cited, Eretz Zayit Shemen, Eretz Zayit Shemen, Udvash, Eretz Shakol Shurea Kizitim. So this citation is from the verse in Devarim, Eretz Zayit Shemen. We're talking about the olive oil, right? And it says, Eretz Shakol Shurea Kizitim. All of its measures are, are assessed by the bulk of an olive, which, of course, should get everybody jumping up and down and say, one second, we just had all these other shirim, the barley and the remote and the pomegranate and the fig, right? What are we talking about now that all of everything is like the olives? So the Gemara actually asked this question. How could it be all of the measurements? We have all these other ones that we just mentioned. Most of the measurements are about olives, uh, are the uh, measurements of an olive, and we talk about this, kezayit. And this is, um, we've mentioned this in the past as well, once you're talking about forbidden foods, and you're talking about whether that's uh, a forbidden animal to eat, or we're talking about blood, or we're talking about leftover uh, leftover korban, or something that's tabe, any of these prohibited amounts you might eat, we say the prohibited volume is a kezayit. Um so the idea here is, of course, that on the one hand, we have a rule of thumb about olives. You know, that's the basic measure. And on the other hand, there are all these exceptions where the measurement is really from somewhere else. Um, I have one more here. Dvash. Now, dvash, of course, is honey. But the biblical dvash and the Talmudic dvash is what we would today call silan. It's date honey, right? This is the dvash is the honey that is extracted, taken out of the dates. And it says, You'll all remember this, that the measurement of eating on Yom Kippur is a kotevet agasa, the, the date, um, the large date of amount of food. And, and if you don't eat that much, then you won't be culpable for eating on Yom Kippur. So again, this is all the different measurements. Now, we have discussed this in your day, and I think you mentioned it very recently, that these measurements are halakha Moshe Misinai. And the question is, are they really halakha Moshe Misinai, or are they inferred from the biblical verse? And this is exactly the question. Alma do'oraita ninu, it seems that all of these are really from the Torah. Betizbra, but the logic, you know, we have to understand it. Shurin miktive, we don't have any text that says the specifics of measurements. Ela hilkata ninu, it's a it's a masora, it's a tradition, transmission, um, and then the verse which provides us with all these fruits that become the measurements is simply a peg upon which we hang the hat so that we can remember the halakha of all of these different measurements. Um, okay, I'm going to stop there. The Gemara obviously goes on, but the point, I think, is that this context, this discussion of the various shirim for all that it is in the greater context of what else is going on in the Duff, it also is fairly self-contained. And independent of anything else, each measure is uh, has its own significance 
for whatever area of halacha it comes from. Two comments. The first is, it's interesting this Gemara does not appear in Masachet Yoma, right? When they have that whole discussion about the shear for how much food, you know, do you eat that would be considered to be, you know, chaya for doing achila, and they went through all the thing with the shiurim and how big is that date size? It's interesting that it does not appear in that Gemara over there and that it appears here. Um, the second is, I think if I had to pick a theme for this particular daf, it really is sort of, I think, telling us a lot about halacha l'mosha misinai, right? How do we know certain things when we look at text and all of those details are not filled in? And sometimes we use the method of we read very carefully the psukim themselves. And sometimes we say that it's just Nasora. And the passage that I'm going to read, which is on the next page, but I'll let you respond first, Anne. Um, it's, I think Sukkah is the perfect masachet to tease this out because as we keep sort of saying over and over again, there's no instruction manual for how to build the sukkah. It's just the instruction of sit in a sukkah. So there obviously has to be this Masora piece with this, um, with this particular mitzvah. That's why we're seeing a lot of this discussion around what is halacha l'moshu misinai? What are some of the halacha l'moshu misinai are appearing in this particular masacha? I think that's really valuable insight, right? The, the fact that the discussion about what is not inferred from text, it, it merits our attention because it is the essence of everything we're talking about with regard to sukkah. So the fact that it will get I don't want to say sidetracked, but a little sidetracked, right? To to the discussion of the shiurim as fleshing out this question of what is halacha Moshe Misinai, it makes really good sense to me. Um, and I, I think that, as I say, I think the shiurim become relevant. We've been talking already about what makes a sukkah. You know, what's the largest sukkah? What's the smallest sukkah? It's not from left field that we're going to discuss it here, but but this package of this list um, is is its own nice package, right? Um, it doesn't. It also doesn't surprise me that Masachet Sukkah is going to be the place that we're going to find this kind of um, allusion to the Shivat Aminim. It's kind of part of the way we relate to Sukkot as this harvest holiday and, and everything like that. But again, I'm, this is maybe too far afield and too drashy. So I'll hand it back to you. Um, so I'm going to move on then to something that's an Amud Bet, which I think sort of explores this a little bit more. And the Gemara is discussing the part in the mission which says that a sukkah has to have three walls. So there's a Tosefta that taught that when we have a sukkah, you have to have two walls, which are standard walls, right? Full walls. The third wall just has to be a tefach. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Shalosh Keel Chatan, Afilu Tefach. Rabbi Shimon says, <clears throat> excuse me, they have to be three walls, full walls, and the fourth one is the one that could be a tefach. And so then the Gemara wants to figure out what exactly are they arguing about? And so the Gemara now is going to present sort of a series of different principles of how one may learn out the Torah Shabbat Tav, right? So for example, B'mayka Maflige, Rabbanan Sabri Yesh Im Lemasoet, or Rabbi Shimon Sabri Yesh Im Lemikra. Right, so the rabbis hold, what principle are they disagreeing about? The rabbis hold that the tradition, in other words, what's authority, what, what's the sort of um, uh, authoritative verse in the, um, in the Torah itself? It's the Masorah, right? It's 
what we say is is how it was actually uh, it, it's how it was actually written. That's really what's authoritative. But Rabbi Shimon holds it's how it's actually vocalized. Meaning sometimes we know that there are words in the Torah that are written one way, but they're pronounced another way. And so therefore, Rabbi Nan and Rabbi Shimon, the first assumption, they're going to reject it later. Well, they'll sort of refine it as they go on here. Is that one holds that Rabbanan holds that it's how it's written that's important. Rabbi Shimon holds it's how it's pronounced. And so then they're going to go through exactly how it works. Rabbanan sabri yesh im lama soret, right? That if you think it's how it's written, so they quote this pasuk, right? Basukot, um, you know, basukot. Uh, uh, so the word basukot appears twice in this pasuk in Vayikra, chapter 23, verse 42. In both of those places, the word Sukkot does not have a vav in it. So it's basically written in the singular. Then you have the word Basukot with a vav that appears in chapter 23, verse 43, the following verse. So that's like a plural version, right? Harekan Arba. So you basically have four references to a Sukkot. Two without the vav, so it's singular means two, one with a vav, so that's like the third and the fourth Sukkot. Dalchad Lagufia. So we subtract one of those sukkahs for the mitzvah itself of sukkah. And so therefore you have three that remain, right? Two are for the, you know, two are basically, the other two sukkot are of the three walls that are sort of standard. And the third one is this halakha lamosha misinai, which come and says that the third one only has to be a, a, a tefach. Now again, is this something that they really believe is how they learned it out? Or is it that they already had the Masorah of the two walls and the Tefach, and they're sort of hanging it on the Pesukim that way? I tend to be a little bit in that camp because it's such an interesting learning, right? You have four Sukkot, you know, one, two singular, one plural, so that gets you to four. The first one is for the first mitzvah. The other three are all references to the three walls of the sukkah itself. Okay. Then we get to Rabbi Shimon. Right? Basukot, basukot. So in other words, Rabbi Shimon, because it's pronounced basukot, like it's written with above, so they're all plural. So he really counts the reference to sukkah as six, right? It's plural, 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 right? Right? So the first one is uh, one verse is for the sukkah, the mitzvah of sukkah itself. Lugufe pashuluhu, arba shlosh kelchatan ate helchata begarata l'revit vukamta atefach. Right. So, in other words, we're subtracting one for it itself, and then we have the two mentions of basukot, which equals four. That remains, and that basically teaches us that the sukkah needs to have four walls. So we have three walls, okay, which is the three walls that have to be standard three walls. And then we have the fourth one, which is the halach l'moshmi that it only has to be a tefah, okay? Now, the thing that's a little weird here is we said that there basically was six. So I still feel like we're missing, I think they're counting, uh, you know, I didn't total, the math didn't totally add up to me. Do you hear what I'm saying, Anne? I I, w I have to say, I was listening to every word you said. I wasn't doing the math along with you. They counted That's... for five. In other words, they say there's six, 
the first one, but I think they're saying it's that full Sukkot, which is really uh, two. And then the last four are the one thing, but it's a little confusing. Okay. There. The Ebay Sema. Now, if you want to say, everybody says that it's the vocalization that's important, right? That is the authoritative version. What is it that they're arguing about? The rabbis hold that the roofing, the schach, requires a verse. So in other words, even the rabbis would hold that there is six in total, right? But you're really left because you're giving an extra one over to the schach. You only have three sukkahs left. And so that's the three walls. Whereas Rabbi Shimon holds, you don't need an extra verse reference for the schach. And so you still have your four. No, let's argue with the other way. Everyone agrees that it's how it's written that's important. What is it that they're actually disagreeing about? Mar Savar, right? One sage, meaning the rabbis. And when the halacha is transmitted basically to Moshe and he comes to teach it to reduce it, right? That one of the walls only needs to be, um, a, uh, only needs to be a tefach. Whereas Rabbi Shimon's going to hold that the halacha is to that Moshe, the, the halacha is to add a wall to the three walls. So in other words, yes, it really would be. So in other words, you 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 have these three walls left. What are you doing with the three walls? For the rabbis, the three walls are two standard walls and the tefach. Okay, and for Rabbi Shimon. The, and that's the halacha l'moshe misinai, is that extra, um, is that it can be a tefach. The halacha l'moshe misinai for Rabbi Shimon is, no, the three walls is, is that it's actually four, it, it, it's one is, it's two walls in the tefach. The halacha l'moshe misinai is, is that we add a fourth wall and that you need three full walls and one that's a tefach. Then they go to b'ibayzema to kuliyama ki ate hilchata l'gara. No, now let's say everybody agrees that the Allah Moshe Misina is, is that that last wall, okay, is really uh, that it's, it's, it's a tefach, that we lessen how big that last wall is. The Eishlim Lamasorah, the Eishlim Lamasorah, right? And everybody agrees that what? That it's how it's written that's important. The Hach Abedorshin Tzachilot Kamafligay, Marsav Abedorshin Tzachilot, Umarsav Abedorshin Tzachilot. So what is it that they're really arguing about? What they're arguing about is, is how does somebody derive numbers when it comes to halachic matters, right? And that the, in other words, that basically when we have a, a, a when, when we total the number of times a certain word appears in the Torah, right? Is that first time that word appears, is it part of the tally or is it not? So Rabbi Shimon says, yes, you can. You add it as part of the tally with the first, with all the numbers. And the Chachamim say, no, you don't put it as part. So therefore, that's how they get to their count. So I just thought this whole passage was very interesting. Because again, this is not straightforward Midrash Halacha. There is a use of sort of psukim, but it also involves how do we interpret these psukim? We have all these different rules that we could use, we couldn't rules use. Maybe everybody agrees, maybe everybody disagrees. And it's interesting to see, you know, so I think the only thing that they have established here that is real fact is, okay, we have the psukim with the word 
Basukot or Sukkah appears in. We have a Mesorah that there is some halachal emotion, Misinai, halacha, when it comes to Sukkah with the measurement of the walls. But everything else around it, how do you learn it out? What are you learning out? That is the gap that still needs to be filled. And I, I, I just think the whole process here is really, uh, you know, it's really not definitive. It's not as simple as saying like, here's a basuk, here's the halakha. We're sort of seeing the, I don't want to use the word subjectivity, but I, I'm not, and maybe you have a better word of what's going on here, uh, but sort of the complexity of interpretation that we see that is involved to really land at the correct halakha. The word that came to mind, perhaps is totally inappropriate, it was hodgepodge, meaning, I, again, I say this with, with affection and not with disrespect, right? The idea that there are so many different methods of interpretation in such a very short span of, of you know, Gemara text is, you know, I feel like I want to clean it up a little bit and say, Okay, so is it halacha Because if it is, then why do we need all the, you know, the derivations from the different spellings, for example, right? And and if we have the derivations from the spellings, then I don't need the halacha I've got it, right? And the and the combination, of course, is what gives us the full picture. So I'm wrong, right? Meaning I can't clean it up. We need we need the full range of interpretation here. And I'm going to make, say something else that's totally out there, and then we'll wrap it up here. You know, when we were learning Pesachim and, and, and Yoma, which really was about halachot of korbanot, it had a much more straightforward thinking, right? Which was like, the Pesach says this, this is how the korban is done, or this is how the avodah is done. This is what's done around the Beit HaMikdash. But it seems to me that when it comes to something that's sort of not Beit HaMikdash related, there's a little bit more of the hodgepodge going on. And maybe that is because like at the end of the day, we're just talking about a structure, right? Like it's a sukkah and sort of like, you'll know what a sukkah looks like because you know what a sukkah looks like, right? And so that even the passage that follows, right? Rabbanan explains, why is Rabbi Shimon saying that it's got to be the full, you know, the third wall plus a little. And so he derives it from this patsuk and Yishayahu. Notice this is not, this is not, from the five books of Moses, right? It's not from the Torah, it's from Nah, Usukatiel Litzel, right? Where it says that you should have a sukkah, right, for shade. But the point here is that this Pasuk is talking about that a sukkah has to provide, provide shade, and something that doesn't have three walls can't really provide shade. So I, I, I just think there's something, I, I don't know, I just think there's something here that because it's not a korban, because it's not involving something about the Beit HaMikdash, it's not something that's involving the, the avoda. the Chazal's comfortable with the hodgepodge in a way that they would not be with other areas of halacha. Um, I think there's, I think we're going to discover as we go that there's much truth to what you're saying. This is my guess. Um, I feel like, you know, all through Erevin, we talked about all different kinds of scenarios that would come up from the reality of the terrain, let's say, right, for example. And I feel like here, so I feel like everybody who's learned halacha, the halacha of, of building a sukkah knows that you just need that minimal third 
third wall because it's such an interesting fact, right? But here where we're actually seeing it on the daf of the Gemara and saying, okay, now how many, how, you know, what does it mean to have a third wall and how big does that third wall have to be? I feel like the idea that the the way we come to the rules is perhaps a little less worried and a little less precise. I, I like what you're saying that it's because, you know, they knew what a sukkah was and they didn't have, they weren't just holding on to it, you know, from, from uh, to preserve the tra- tradition of something that was long gone from their experience. I think we need to think about it further, but I, I like yeah, this direction. It's an observation. I may totally be proven wrong, but I think we can also understand that what a sukkah looks like carries a different weight than making sure the Torah in the, in the Kaddish Kaddish Manum Kippur is done properly. Yes. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Ring us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Download Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 